Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. All right, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Martin, how are we doing? Doing great. How are you? It's pretty early on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking, bud. And it, it is definitely Sunday. Uh, woke up before 8 a.m. to get this one started. And for uh, for a lot of my listeners, you know that I work in the restaurant industry. So that wasn't easy for me. However, when you hear this story and um, when you hear everything that Martin uh, has has gone through, has overcome what he's going through now, um, you'll see why it was it was it was a no brainer for me to to want to get up early this morning and make sure that I had a chance to capture this story. Cause this is going to be unbelievable for all of you today. Um, but before we go ahead and get into that, now that I got them thinking uh, what, what's going on with this guy, uh, why don't you tell us who you are, where you're from and what you do for a living? My name is, uh, <clears throat> sorry. My name is Martin Parker. I am a 39 year old single father diagnosed with Parkinson's at 32 and what I do for a living is uh what I tell people is I shake for a living <laughs> <laughs> but uh or they asked me what I what did I do today and I said other than shake uncontrollably but uh kind of makes people uncomfortable when I have that sense of humor about it but I like to keep it I was diagnosed with Parkinson's at 39 I was a, a security guard slash industrial private security industrial firefighter at uh, at a car manufacturing plant here in Oshawa, Ontario. Okay. But uh, at 32, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's and I was, I was, uh, of course you can't do that when you have a physical disability and uh, property and life hangs in the balance. So you gotta be reliable with things like that first response things like that so you have to uh, you kind of have to step aside and take the disability and uh, not work understood and definitely makes sense um and you know and like i told you before we started recording here as well um my my scope of education when it comes to parkinson's my knowledge is is very limited you know um because i personally don't know anyone um, with Parkinson's. You're the first person I'm ever having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with um, that deals with with Parkinson's that has it. Um, you know, my my scope of knowledge is pretty much, you know, the famous celebrities that you hear all the time: Muhammad Ali, Michael J. Fox, um, stuff like that. And um, you know, so and I actually I'm a I'm a big fan of the show American Ninja Warrior. There was a there was a guy on there as well who actually competed with it. Um, I think his name was Jimmy Choi. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to do awesome stuff. Um, and, you know, as soon as you sent me, as soon as you sent me that message on Instagram, I definitely wanted to get it, wanted to get a chance to capture this story as well. Um, so I feel like I'm going to learn a lot here as well, not just about you, but, you know, uh, about everything here. Um, so before before we get into into that, because we're going to try and get your story here in chronological order, um, why don't you go ahead and summarize for us uh, the first 12 years or so of your life before you had your first experience with a drink or a drug? 
well, the first 12 years of my life were pretty normal. Um, I mean, I was originally born in British Columbia and my uh, dad decided he wanted to move to Ontario because um, the only thing, only work that he had to do out there was, we, he was an electrician by trade and the only work that he had to do out there was away from his family. Uh, so he was missing us growing up. So he decided to move to uh, Ontario where there was more work and closer and he could be closer with his family. We all moved from Ontario or BC to Ontario. And uh, our, my parents were always together. Um, we went to church almost every Sunday. Um, very traditional family, very, I had a brother, I have a brother, I was the oldest of three, I have a brother and sister. Um, we made it a point to get to get together for dinner every every night almost. Uh, Sunday dinners were definite, but all the way up until I was a teenager, we'd make sure we get up, get together for dinner. Family time was very important. Uh, my parent, I didn't see my parents touch a drink or any type of alcohol until I was in high school. Wow. Because my, yeah, because my mom was, uh, grew up, uh, her childhood was pretty bad. She had uh, two parents who were, like to abuse alcohol and whatever else they could find and they would leave her alone. <sighs> they would leave her alone and she was a, she's physically and mentally abused, emotionally abused. So she didn't want that for her kids. So she decided she wanted to break the cycle. So we, I didn't see any partying or any drinking or anything going on um, all the way up until I was 12, 13. Um, I was always a deep thinker from the time I can remember. I'd get up, uh, I was always a warrior. I would, uh, especially after church on Sundays and things like that, where you hear about these, these biblical, uh, these biblical stories and things like that, like Noah's Ark and, and, and the book of Revelation and things like that. I'd be, always be, from uh, as young as I can remember, I'd always remember, I'd always uh, be worried about dying or, uh, or the end of the world or, or things like that. And I always had some form of anxiety over it. Those minutes before your head hits the pillow, when your head hits the pillow and before you fall asleep, you have all that time to think to yourself, all that time to reflect on what you've learned through the day. It always kind of made me uh, a little crazy. I'd wake up and I'd uh, sometimes I'd have to be consoled. Um, and I always uh, walk around and I think of God as like a punishing God. Um, it really drove me away from religion. As a kid, when I got to high school, I was angry and things like that. And I always had friends that were didn't go to church every Sunday, and, and I always wondered why. They always had uh, they always had free time on Sunday, and they got to sleep in on Sunday, and I never got to. I had to, I had to go to church at Sunday school and stuff like that. So I always wondered that was different. My parents, my friends' parents drank beer. I always saw them wear beer t-shirts or, <laughs> you know, they always had pictures of beer posters hanging up and they'd say, oh, why don't you come over for a beer? And my, my dad wouldn't come over for a beer, things like that. It's just something he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't really involved in. 
So we're always I know you said I know you said your mom kind of stayed away from it because she kind of dealt and seen the abuse as a child um, of people that really used it hard. Uh, was was your dad just was he just like, you know, just there's no reason to drink kind of guy or like, was there a reason yeah. that he kind of just stayed away from it or was it more so just to support your mother? Yeah, I think it was more so just to support my mother. Um, I know that he was big into the church and he was, uh, he liked to go to church. He was the main, he was the spearheaded, he spearheaded the church movement on Sunday. So okay, there's things like that. Uh, so it just wasn't the right thing to do for him. Just wasn't the right thing to do for him. He set an example as a family guy, right? And he he knew what my mom came from. So and more more or less, he wanted to have a good support for the family and be a good family, right? Very understandable. So I grew. Oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. So I grew up from that from a very young age, saying I'm never going to smoke, never going to drink, never going to do drugs. I grew up in the '80s when the Ronald Reagan stuff was happening. And, and, you know, uh, there's a big just say no movement. So drugs and everything were very faux pas. And it wasn't really something talked about. And so I, I didn't grow up with any adult figures in my life that smoked or drank any uh, strong ones anyways, like that were prominently in my life. None of them smoked, none of them drank. They all were church going Christian folks. Okay. So, so after, you know, the way you're growing up, then you're not, you're not seeing it. No one's abusing it around you. Um, what makes you at, at 13 years old, then, um, you know, tell, tell us about your first experience with a drink or a drug and, you know, what made you want to try that then, you know, if you kind of, if you were never around it and you kind of understood, I don't want to say understood that it was a bad thing, but um, you know, you're just, your, your parents are kind of working so hard to just keep you away from it and whatnot. So, you know, what was your first experience like and what made you want to do that? Well, like I said, I was the oldest of three. I was experiencing everything first. And I think my parents worked so hard to, to keep me away from it and say, a lot of times there was no explanation. I think back a lot on it. And I'm just kind of figuring this out now as I have my own daughter and, uh, things that I'm trying to do differently. But as I look back on it now, there's, they just said, no, that's bad. You know, it's uh, there's no explanation really. Either they didn't want to get into it or they just didn't think I was old enough to understand. But uh, my mom would tell me the stories of her childhood and, and things like that. But uh, I never put it together that alcohol and things like that were the, were the main, uh, could have been the culprit in that i just always thought maybe my grandparents were assholes <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah they always they didn't do it and i always wondered why and then whenever i'd go over to a friend's house watch movies and things like that or or listen to a cd that necessarily wasn't allowed to be in my house um that would go against anything that was kind of taught or or believed in my house i, I it made me curious I always wondered what it was. I, like when I saw a badass on TV, I wanted to be that badass. You know, when I first saw Batman in 1989, that was the perfect guy. 
for me. He's dark, he's brooding, still a bit of a badass, but still a good guy. Kind of like a John McClane Die Hard type guy. And uh, real quick, Die yeah. Hard Christmas movie or not a Christmas movie? It's a Christmas movie. Thank you. We watch it every Christmas. <laughs> I think that's like one of the ultimate debate against men in the world. Wow. Well, it's got Christmas in it. <laughs> that's enough for me. It's enough. I always think Rocky Four is a Christmas movie, too. My brother and I. Which, by the way, the greatest of the Rockies. Yeah, that's what I think. Uh, it's the first one I ever saw. But anyways, um, yeah, where were we? So, yeah, I was always kind of curious. And uh, like I said, I had friends that grew up different than me. I didn't really have uh, many Christian friends. And when I was in the church, I always had the, I always got along better with the badass, a little more rebellious types in the church. The goody two-shoes weren't really, weren't really my, uh, my wheelhouse, I guess you'd say. So, uh, there's always a little bit of a rebellious streak in me. And I always had a little bit of uh, those rebellious friends. And uh, the very first time I tried to be here was when I was 13. And my friend was just turning 13. And we were, we were kind of took off from his house on his 13th birthday. And uh, he was hiding something underneath his shirt. And he pulled it out from underneath his shirt and he, opened it up and it foamed over us and he was giving everybody sips and I took a sip and it was uh it was warm and it was disgusting but uh we didn't get drunk that night we just wanted to try Do you remember what it was I think it was a little bit like a wildcat wildcat never even heard of that yeah it's that wildcats Canadian stuff right? oh <laughs> go, go go figure you're in Canada and you're drinking Labatt yeah <laughs> you know this is this is a perfect uh, a perfect time to say um i was wondering too because you're from from canada before we started recording i was wondering how if you were gonna have like a thick canadian accent and whatnot and so far in all you're talking um it's only it's only when you make the ow sound like house or out is the only time i'm picking up on it so far yeah that's the only time i sometimes with uh, my parkinson's i have to use the google voice okay and if i say about voice to text it always give me a boot <laughs> and I have to erase it and I have to say about, I end up having to shout about in the phone five times before it actually gives me a, a boot, a boat, a boot, a boat. <laughs> pisses me off. Um, you say you can tell American made this, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's all right. Um, that wasn't the first time I got drunk, but we always used to go to this place called uh, Pipeland. It was right around the corner from the beer store, because here you can only get beer in uh, designated stores. You can't, well, now they pass a law that you can get it in grocery stores. But when I was a kid, 13 years old, you could only get it from the beer store or the liquor store. And uh, they were pretty much government run. So we had to go shoulder tap at a beer store. We had to ask people we didn't know older than us, because we wouldn't. We didn't know anybody older. And if they didn't rip us off and they said yes, they'd walk into the beer store with a, and grab a 24 case, sorry, for the American listeners. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll, we'll, be, we'll, we'll help them translate. We'll work together on this. <laughs> it's 24 I'm, I'm learning new words. 
24 pack of uh, or 12 pack of Molson Ice or or one of the cheapest beers. Actually, I think we used to really like Miller High Lake because that was the cheapest beer. Well, that's the champagne of beers. That was my that was my beer pong beer when I was younger. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it used to cost twelve twenty five here for a twelve pack, and that's all we could come up with all together. So we'd be able to drink uh, four each. And I remember the first time I drank in uh, this place where the construction crew would throw all their old white uh, construct underground construction water pipes. So we had a shelter to drink in in the, in the bushes. And it, when it rained, we could sit in the pipes. And when it was sunny, we could sit above the pipes. And we could smash bottles on the pipes and stuff like that. It was all fun. It was just a party spot for, you know, teenagers to go in and drink. And uh, that's where I had my first beer. That's where we got drunk a lot of the times. Drunk, high, whatever. And we'd go up to the bowling alley and start fights. <laughs> Uh, no, we had nothing else to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, I was, I was, uh, no, go definitely keep going. So, uh, yeah, so that was like uh, when I was 13. And um, yeah, basically, it was every weekend after that, every uh, spare. Friday, Saturday night I had, I could drink. And that was what you did. You didn't go to the movies. You didn't do anything. Uh, you just ended up getting higher, getting drunk in a, in a bush party, either behind the school or, or uh, in Pipeland. And you'd, uh, you'd either get run by the cops or you'd make it home. And you'd have to uh, watch South Park with your parents and pretend that you're sober because my parents had told me I had to be home by midnight. <laughs> that was, so that was going to be a couple of my questions. Um, you know, first, when you talk about getting high, I'm assuming at such a young age, you're only talking about weed so far. Yeah, we had a uh, grease uh, or uh, cash oil. Okay. And uh, cause that was the cheapest and we'd spread it out. We'd smoke that one time I smoked so much of it. We got high and we laughed so hard, but after, after the burnout was just so bad, I ended up almost falling asleep in the field. It was oh, pretty shit. scary. Yeah. Hey, but you don't, uh, you don't want to get eaten by a bear out there in the woods. Uh, no, it was very urban. The woods are very urban. There's no bears, but or or get, get attacked by a moose. Through. You guys got to deal with the moose up there, right? Uh, <laughs> not here. <laughs> that's more up north okay but uh yeah we don't build igloos either but, <laughs> but yeah there is a moose problem way 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 up north but not around where i live around where i live is very I, i've been accused by montrealers of being very american okay very american actor so it's probably not much different than living in Milwaukee or Detroit. Well, same. The Mil Milwaukee has a Canadian accent, so it, it makes yeah, a lot exactly. of sense. <laughs> yeah. So did your parents never, were you able to successfully hide it from your parents when you're coming home, you know, drunk and stoned and whatnot? Um, 
was it was it fairly easy to hide it from them that did they never pick up on it did they you know not accuse you of any of this stuff or were you just kind of were you doing pretty well flying under the radar there's a few times where they might have suspected but maybe i maybe they didn't want to admit it to themselves maybe sometimes i would just go as fast as i could up to my bed sometimes i'd have to fake it um there's a few times i got caught there's one time where i drank too much i had the I don't know if you guys have Mickey's, Mickey's beer and Stubby's. Oh, yeah. And I drank uh, 12 of those. And my friend couldn't finish his, so I was, I think I finished his 12-pack as well. And I ended up getting too drunk. And I was always big for my age. I'm six foot, I'm six foot two. And I was always a little big for my age. And my, uh, I walked in, figured I could handle... 16 beers, I guess, when I was 16 or 17 years old. I had a football game the next day to play. And uh, I remember my mom looking up at me, pointing her finger at me, saying, you're drunk. And I told her, I said, I got all this stuff going for me. I'm going to be a football player. I'm going to get a scholarship to whatever Canadian school, university. Why would I start drinking now? And I couldn't even hold myself up. I was holding myself up in between the door frames. And I told her I was going to bed. And I went upstairs and just yacked. And she figured that was enough for me. Playing football the hungover the next day. And then, uh, and then yacking in the toilet. She figured that was enough punishment for me. We've talked about that night ever since. <laughs> and she, she knew I was drunk. And she figured giving me shit wouldn't wouldn't have been uh, wouldn't have done anything for me. She figured that if I was going to learn my lesson, it would be playing football in the hot sun, hung over the next day, and the, the being uh, and yakking in the toilet that night. But I didn't learn my lesson, so no. I kept going. Well, for for a lot of kids that um, aren't going to be you know future alcoholics. Um, you know, for, for people that are just kind of having fun, so to speak, um, you know, that might, that might do the trick for, for a small percentage of those people, um, having to yeah. go out and run with pads on in the sun, being hung over. A lot of people might think, fuck this, I'm not doing this again. Um, or at least definitely not doing this the day before a game. Um, but when, when you're an alcoholic, um, you know, or you're even showing the early signs and, and your brain's already working that way then, you know, it sucks for a few minutes, but then it is what it is and you figure out how to deal with it. And uh, we, we all know you're going to do that shit again. And that's not going to be your last time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. And you're, you're going to do what you're going to do. Right. So, so um, now at what point, at what point does it start to become more than, uh, you know, just drinking on the weekends with the friends and, you know, you know, a, aside from, you know, a lot of that normal teenage shit, because a lot of teenagers are going to go out there. They're going to drink on the weekends. A lot of guys on the football team are going to have fun before the game. Um, you know, that's just going to happen. And again, like we said, a lot of those people aren't going to turn into alcoholics. Um, for you, when does it become 
more than drinking on the weekends? And when does it become something that you start to realize that, you know, I need this. I like this way more than the average person. When does, even though we don't notice the problem is happening when looking back on it, when does it start to get more severe for you? Well, I, that's when I started my job at uh, being security. I went through college and things like that. I flunked out of college because uh, I decided that I had to major in pub instead of doing anything else. I, I go and I get drunk before class. There's one time where I, I get drunk. I One time I got drunk and I was in class at the beginning of my college career, I guess you'd call it, and I ran for class president drunk, just hammered in front of my class. I went to pub and uh, decided it would be funny to just run. And I had the whole class laughing and I figured I was gonna win. But uh, they were outside and I, I was with these three, these other two candidates who were taking it seriously and I started running. I decided on a whim because I was drunk to get up in front of the class and be a stupid idiot. And I had the whole class laughing and I figured I had them all on my side. And I remember the guy saying, oh, I'm so nervous. I hope I get uh, elected. And the other girl was saying, yeah, I hope I get elected too. And then I looked at them both. I said, well, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry if I get elected. Because <laughs> I just I just ran on a whim and I looked like I, was, I had more charisma than you two. But it turns out that uh, they were just laughing at me. And they wouldn't have trusted me with being their class president at all. So they just thought it was funny. So, of course, I didn't win. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong real quick, but growing up in, uh, being in Canada, I think you said BC, um, isn't the, the legal drinking age is 19 there, right? Like you can just go to a bar and get served at 19. Yeah. 19 in Ontario. So, cause like in the United States, a lot of college kids, you know, freshmen, sophomores, and juniors, a lot of times they're technically underage drinking. still. they still got to get people to get the stuff for the party and whatnot. But technically, yeah. what you're doing isn't even against the law. You're being served legally. You can just go to a bar and it just it is what it is. Exactly. So the access was completely there even more. Well, like I said, I was older and I was uh, I always looked older than I did. And I was able to get in the bars at 17, 18. I remember going to a bar for my 19th birthday. And the, one of the bartenders goes, how old are you? I said, oh, I'm 19. He goes, oh, you've been coming here for two years. <laughs> I said, yeah, sorry. He goes, well, here's a beer for your birthday. Glad you didn't get caught. But uh, yeah, no, it was absolutely, it's absolutely legal here. Um, I mean, you can go to college at 17, 18 now because they got rid of the technically grade 13. But uh, yeah, you can be 17, 18. And it's really easy because there's people who are 19 in college and you can get access to alcohol pretty quickly. And it's pretty hard for them to tell the difference. Well, exactly. Uh, you got to think the way. average, the average high school kid. And I mean, I'm just thinking the United States here, but the average high school kid graduates at, you know, we'll just say 18 years old, um, depending on when your birthday is. And so, you know, if you're in a country where 19 is the legal drinking age, really your freshman year of college is the only year where, where you can't just go to a bar or a, a beer store and just get it yourself. Exactly. You know, as, a, as opposed to in the United States, a lot of times your senior year is the only time you can do that. Right. I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> I mean, they find a way to do it anyway, but yeah, you know, like I said, the, the only difference is you're not breaking the law. 
exactly. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, anyway, so after college was over and I failed out of that, decided that I could stay and make more money at the, the security job because it was a good job. Um, because Saturday is, or security is a seven day a week gig, kind of like the restaurant industry is, my weekends become whatever day I had off. So sometimes you'd have a Tuesday night off and you'd have a Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon off. And uh, so you decided that Tuesday is your Friday night and you get drunk and then you'd start getting drunk on Saturday just because it's Saturday night if you had an afternoon shift because you could, you'd go out with your regular friends who had regular Monday to Friday jobs, a regular schedule, you get drunk with them. And eventually you're known as the problem. And I was always, I always drank more than everybody else. Everybody always said, man, I got so drunk last night. And whenever I got drunk with them, I was always like, wow, you were drunk? Didn't seem like you were. Cause I always seemed to take it to another level. And I, I Whenever I was at a party and I took a girl to a party with me as a date or something like that, or drinking was involved, she might think I was a nice guy and she'd like me for the first part of it. But by the time the party was over, she didn't want anything to do with me anymore because I was just either very sloppy or, or just got very rude or the littlest things could set me off. I was kind of a quiet, timid guy. I didn't show my emotions until. I, until I got drunk, then I was open about everything. Um, so, yeah, that's basically the way it was. And uh, so I would kind of, I would drink Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and, and it would just become a normal thing to me. And I'd go to work, I'd get in trouble with the police. And I'd go to work and, and uh, I'd have uh, bruises and head wounds and things like that from getting my head smashed into curbs because oh, I'm mouthing off to police and things like that uh, to, to, uh, um, to almost losing my job <clears throat> because yeah, I had to have a security license. And I mouthed off to a cop one time. <clears throat> And I, uh, I decided that I was gonna kind of not vandalize something, but uh, I I picked up a barricade, a construction barricade, and threw it. And they charged me with mischief just because I was being a prick to them before. So it wasn't a big deal, but they charged me with whatever they could. I almost lost my job because I was a mouthy little asshole or big mouthy asshole. Oh, wait, let me, let me get this right. Okay. You get, you get drunk and you turn into a different person and you become mouthy and an asshole. Wait, I don't think I've ever talked to an alcoholic <laughs> who shows those tendencies ever. I thought we just get drunk and we're super friendly and you know, there's like no problems in the world. I can't believe that drinking is potentially getting you in trouble. I've never heard of that. No, 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 no. It wasn't my fault. 
It wasn't my fault. Ah, it yeah, was it everybody was, else. Of course, it was. It, was it, it had to have been the cops' fault. He was having a bad yeah. day because he probably just lets yeah. everybody just throw barricades because you know why else? What what else has he got to do? Exactly. <laughs> it was his fault. He's being a prick. I was just being drunk and and I didn't smash the window before and I didn't do any of that stuff. Of course, I just you had did. to throw this barricade, and it was his fault. And <laughs> I love it. And I I demanded his badge number and. <laughs> When he gave it to me, he goes, yeah, if you want to lodge a complaint, go ahead. Of course I didn't, because I woke up the next day going, wow, what an asshole I was. But I had to deal with that, so that cost me almost two grand just to keep my job, because I had to hire a lawyer, then I had to pay, pay a fine, and uh, things like that. So... I was allowed to keep my job. I had to go do this hearing with the people that issued the license. And uh, he said, I don't want to see you in here again because I know this job can keep you on the straight and narrow. So I don't want to see you in here again because if you are in here again, I'm going to take away your license and you're going to lose this great job. So that's when I kind of straightened out a little bit. I still drank, but I didn't go out as, as much. And I decided I needed to find a a good woman to uh, straighten me out. So I, I started to look actively for a girlfriend, which uh, I didn't want previously because they, they always, because uh, again, it was their fault, right? Of they were course. trying to keep me from drinking, yeah. So uh, I finally got uh, linked up with this girl uh, by a mutual friend and um, they asked, I uh, asked her to do a, Blue, a Toronto Blue Jays game. I can't remember who they were playing, but we went to a Jays game. And um, I didn't drink at the time. I didn't drink at the Jays game, which was, wasn't normal. because I'd always drink at the Jays game. I'd always like to drink and heckle fans and see how far I could push it till I get kicked out and then get kicked out. I don't know why I wanted to waste $60 on a ticket. And, spend a hundred dollars on beer in the, at the stadium and then kick, get kicked out and think that was fun. But that was part of my rebellious attitude when I was a drunk, I guess. But I didn't drink this time. I actually stayed, had a good time at the game, had a good time with her. And when she got home, she was talking to the mutual friend that set us up on the date. And she goes, uh, she was yeah, we went to the Jays game and had a good time. And immediately the friend laughed and said, Oh, yeah, how drunk did he get? She goes, well, he didn't drink at all. And uh, he thought, oh, uh, he said, oh, he must really like you then. Because he didn't drink. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I was able to uh, keep it under wraps for a little bit. And then uh, alcohol became a problem in our relationship. But she stuck it with me, and I ended up getting married. And there was a lot of, a lot of fights that would happen. Um, even before marriage and even after the marriage, I, I would never tell her I'd quit drinking, but because uh, I knew I couldn't, I would just, I would just apologize and uh, maybe quit for two weeks in a month. But uh, then all of a sudden it would come back, and I was hiding alcohol and stuff in the garage 
have a bottle of uh, Jägermeister uh, that I, if we were having casual parties and stuff like that, I'd go to the garage and I'd take a few shots of Jägermeister and come back in and nobody would know. Everybody would say, how'd you get so drunk off four beers? But really I was doing shots of Jägermeister in the garage. Yeah, I was drinking beer and Jägermeister in the garage uh, undercover and at parties and things like that because uh, I didn't want to stay sober or drinking just the drinking that I was allowed to do wasn't enough. So I always had to sneak out and take a few more sips in the garage, act like I was going out to get something. And uh, I always like staying out in the garage and being out in the garage because I wasn't monitored, and uh, she couldn't. She could. She couldn't figure out how many beers I was drinking when it was when I was drinking. So, and I know, I know. So if you get, if you get, uh, if you find out you're diagnosed with Parkinson's at 32, and I know we talk about your sobriety happening. Um, at 33 i have to ask then um as we get into these years of your life and we're getting a little bit later on um are there any are there any signs of parkinson's that it's coming does your does your body start to change is there is there something where you're just like hey this isn't normal for me or is this something that just like you literally just wake up one day and you're just like a different person and having to go to the doctor and find out what's going on. Well, in between the drinking and stuff like that, I'd work out, go to the gym and uh, I started running to lose more weight, lose weight and stuff, cardio. And as I'm running, my left foot starts to curl like underneath me. Like instead of having your feet flat and being able to project yourself running, my left foot would actually just curl underneath me inward. My toes would bunch up, my heel would, and they'd bunch towards my heel and my heel would seem like they'd try to, try to contract against my foot. So, and I'd come down on it and it was very painful. I'd stop and I'd stretch it out uh, with calf stretches on the tree and I'd continue and it, it would keep doing this. And I didn't know why. And my cousin who's uh He's an athletic trainer, kinesiologist type guy. He said, oh, just roll it out with a golf ball. You've got plantar fasciitis from running too much. Just slow it down, stretch it out, roll it out with a golf ball. So I do that. But it kept happening involuntarily every time I went out running. And when I went to type on the computer to stretch my pinky finger out uh, to hit the A key, it just wouldn't do it. So eventually, all this stuff started getting worse, and I didn't know why. And I'm still drinking, I'm still working out, I'm still doing all this stuff. And of course I'm stuck in this, uh, I'm stuck, I'm stuck not reaching any, not uh, getting any goals or anything like that because I'm still drinking. Um, not hitting any of the targets I wanted. Um, so finally my, my wife at the time, um, after we just had our, our child, we had a daughter. 
my after my daughter was born at um, about a year later, she said uh, she made me go to the doctor because I was complaining about how my left arm wasn't working properly. And I said, oh, I just hurt myself lifting weights at the gym. We were working out a little too hard, but I kept going anyways because of my obsessive mindset. So she, I couldn't fish change it in my pocket one day trying to get the change out. And she made me go to the doctors and the doctor didn't know what was wrong with me either. We went through CAT scans and MRIs and finally they sent me to Toronto Western Hospital in Toronto. Go figure, Toronto Western Hospital in Toronto. <laughs> and and uh, they've got a movement disorder clinic. I had no idea what was wrong with me. Uh, they couldn't find anything wrong with my brain. And she she makes me do all these uh, changes. She makes me do all these hand claps and, and touch my fingers with my thumb and all this stuff. And she watches me walk and pushes me. And she says to me, you... Uh, you might have Parkinson's, but you need to take these pills. And if they help, they'll fi we'll figure it out. If these pills help, then that's definitely what you have. Because there is no, uh, you can't tell about Parkinson's from an x-ray or from an x-ray or a CAT scan or an MRI or anything like that. It's done with these series of physical tests. And if you, if you react positively to the drugs, and that's what you have. So here I am, um, 32 years old, uh, married. I got married, I guess it was my third year of marriage. And I just, my kid just celebrated her first birthday and I've got Parkinson's. Wow. And that was kind of a hard thing to deal with, but I, didn't let anyone know. I just kept going. And uh, I let people know that I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, but I didn't let people know how I felt. That just wasn't who I was at the time. I, I didn't like to be vulnerable. I didn't like to be, didn't like to show any type of weakness whatsoever. Cause like I was in denial about my alcoholism for years. I'd get drunker than anybody else. I knew it was a problem, but I didn't tell anybody. So, I didn't want to admit it. So I didn't want to admit that Parkinson's was going to get me down either. I didn't want to admit to my worry about Parkinson's. Now, so is this before me, the, is this before the, the shaking is like obvious as well? Yeah. Like you couldn't really tell at, at a certain point at that point, it, at first it just presented itself as stiffness, stiffness. And, uh, and it was basically in my left arm and only when I was very physically tired, from like when I was running and things like that, that my body would go through these things called just it seize up and it's called dystonia. And basically it's kind of funny because it, it's, it's like your body is like a stone. Everything just cramps up and you can't move. It's debilitating. So oh, now man. when I have dystonia bad, it, my foot just doesn't curl. My whole leg just stiffens up and I can, I can barely walk. Shit. Yeah. So it's almost paralyzing. And then sometimes when you take too many drugs to get rid of that, too many of the medication, too much of the medication to get rid of that, you end up with uh, involuntary movements called dyskinesias. And that's when you see me on videos and stuff like that, where I'm jumping all over the place, 
where uh, I look like I'm I'm on coke or on meth, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So Parkinson's. Since you said you weren't uh, really well versed in it, what it is is the lack of dopamine in your system. Okay. Dopamine has a lot of things. Uh, dopamine has a lot of things that a lot of uh, functions in your body. Uh, one of them is to it acts as like a as a transport system of signals from your brain to say your fingertips or your legs to move. So when you go to push a button on a on a cell phone or something like that with your thumb, that's really easy to you. You don't even have to think about it. Me, I sometimes when I'm low on my medication, I actually have to think about it. I say, okay, okay, thumb, push number one, push A, push B. And it's it's slow and I really have to concentrate. It's frustrating. Um, another one is depression. Uh, dopamine has a lot to do with your pleasure centers in your brain. And when you're low on dopamine and you can't move, uh, it really inhibits your, your mood and how you feel. So sometimes when I look at myself in the mirror and I'm shaking and I'm all in a low point, like uh, a lot of people could, I just want to, I just get so low sometimes I just say, I, sometimes you just want to kill yourself Shit. because you just, yeah, you're, you can't move and things just get so low and your moods get so bad and you get so depressed that sometimes you just feel that way. Well, once the meds kick in and everything like that, everything seems to be good. Right now I'm struggling. As you can see me through the Zoom link, I'm struggling right now. I'm trying to push through, but I just took my meds. So hopefully you'll see me improve by the end of this. Okay. But uh, I'll see, see you almost normal. Um, I'm not gonna lie, man. It, 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 and I'm not trying to be like a funny guy and I'm not trying to be like, you know, make it um, like bring your mood down or anything, but it's, you know, we've we've been talking here for about an hour now, and it's it's like almost it's like it's painful and sad to watch as well, because you just you look uncomfortable and you look like you're just trying to, like, get yourself situated. And it like hurts my heart because, like, I just I wish there's something like I could do to help. And and again, I mean, obviously, you know, this is something you've been dealing with now for for seven years now but it's just like it's I, I i can't even imagine just doing so many simple tasks you know that like someone like myself would take for granted like picking up that can of soda you know the way you just did like that's yeah. it's like you said it's something like i can just hit a button on a on a phone and it's it's nothing you know i don't even have to think about it and for you to kind of like you almost got to sit there and plan it it's Man, it's I, I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't fathom. Like that's it's unbelievable. You get, you get used to it. My life isn't like this all the time. I mean, uh, like an hour before I was talking to you, I woke up at 6 30. I rolled out of bed and I took my bags. And once they hit, I was feeding myself cereal. I was spreading toast on bagels. Everything was clicking, everything was good. Okay. Like, see, I'm already improving now. I can snap. <laughs> so I know I looked uncomfortable and stuff like that, but that's because he caught me on the tail end. Uh, it was poor planning on my part. Because so how often do you have to do this then? 
have to take uh, sometimes if I can keep the meds uh, together, sometimes I can go, but I have to take meds every two hours. Okay. And if I miss one or if I screw up or I eat too much, um, like protein, protein stops the absorption. So like, as you can say, with lift weight, weightlifting and bodybuilding and things like that, I really have to time it properly. My whole life is scheduled and uh, my whole life is pretty uh like especially with the pandemic and stuff that was going on i realized that my whole life is is planned around this medication and if i can't get this medication for any reason whether it be pandemic or anything i i'm screwed so my whole life is planned around this stuff and but i just got to keep going because this is this is the only life i've got so and and you know the, the way you the way you embrace it man um is just it's it's unbelievable. You're a warrior, brother. Now, um, I want to I want to go back a little bit and talk about. So, you know, I'm I'm gonna kind of set like a little a little, I guess, picture here, and then I just kind of want you to fill it in and correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong. But from from what I understood a little bit about your story and from a little bit about what you told me, so you know, you're you're 33 years old, you're driving. You flip your car, you get out of this car. First off, it seems to be a miracle you're even still alive at this point. Yeah. Um, you just look at your car, and I I would assume you're drunk at this moment, and and you just you pretty much look at your car and say, Fuck this, I've had enough. And that's kind of like your waking moment into finally getting sober. Um Tell us about that night or day, okay. that event. Well, there's a little more that happened before that. I, I was, I was, uh, after I was diagnosed, they put me on this medication called, uh, they're called dopamine agonists. And like I said, dopamine, ag- dopamine has got a lot to do with the pleasure centers of your brain. So they got me on this stuff that, that makes dopamine more prominent and generates more synthetic dopamine. So whenever I do something that brings me pleasure, it almost makes me more addicted to it. So I get that extra charge of dopamine hit. So I got into Coke and I got into more, more drinking, more Coke. And every time, that's when my alcoholism and addiction took hold when I was on this medication. And, uh, I actually felt like an addict. I was spending money out of control. So when I was aware, when I finally became aware of this, I knew what I was doing was wrong. It was like I was watching myself do it. It was really messed up. So I decided that I was going to go to my friend's place who wasn't into coke, who wasn't into drugs, and they live up north. Not as far as north as the moose. But, uh, <laughs> far enough where I couldn't get to my coke dealer who just lived around the corner. Um, so I got there and I, I was drinking and I was drinking like I didn't like I, I was drinking like I was still doing coke because I liked the I liked doing coke because it I didn't black out. I didn't embarrass myself. I just got to stay up all night and I used to I used to go on these big long benders and I used to remember everything and the coke just helped me drink as much as I wanted. When I got to my buddy's house. My friend's house, uh, they could tell something was different. 
but we just drank anyways. And I drank like I was on, like I was doing coke, but of course I wasn't doing coke. So I had to go get some. And nobody was going to stop me. So I was in a blackout at this time. And me being the 275-pound guy I was at that time, I basically pushed my way out of there. They tried to stop me. They did whatever I could, but I, I pushed my way out of their place. And I, I jumped in my truck and I started driving. And uh, well, this was told to me. I didn't know any of this. But I woke up upside down in a ditch. My roof was caved in and I was just hanging upside down on my truck. I had to kick the door out and I was in my underwear. And uh, it was raining, it was cold and I, I crawled out of the ditch. And I was there shivering and I watched my uh, wheel turn. And uh, it lost its, lost its grip, but it was still going. It was moving, I must have broke the transmission or something. And the wheel was still turning, but it, it lost its grip and it lost its direction. And it was spinning out of control, just like my life just did. So I, I, I didn't know what to do. I knew my life had to change at that point. And the cop showed up and I tried to try to convince him that I wasn't drunk, that I just hadn't taken my meds, that I had Parkinson. But uh, they could smell the vodka and everything coming off me. They didn't go for it. So um, they took me and they booked me. They threw me in the cell and my parents had to come get me, which of course was a nice shining moment, a fitting end because they, in my 20s, they had to do that a couple of times too. Um, well, I woke up the next day and I had scratches all over my face and thank God my daughter wasn't around to see me. and. I said to my mom, I said, I don't know. She goes, I know. I said to her, I said, I, I know I'm not going to drink today. I know I'm not going to drink tomorrow. But soon enough, I'm going to convince myself that it's okay. I need to do something. So she looked in, she looked through the phone book and found rehabs and things like that, detox centers. But they were all full. So we tried to, she looked up a bunch of the local 12-step program meetings that were going on here. And um, she took me to my first meeting. My guy was celebrating 25 years sobriety. Wow. And uh, even in my, even at that time, I thought, how does this guy go out and celebrate 25 years? Like, he can't go out and drink. And I thought that was kind of silly. Because back then I would drink to celebrate. I drank when I felt like shit. I drank when I felt depressed. I, that's how I dealt with my emotions. I just drank. I didn't want to feel anything. So obviously, he after 25 years of sobriety, he knew what was what was important, and he knew how he was going to celebrate. He knew that his family was the most important thing. His his uh, kids were there. His grandchildren were there. His wife was there. He's able to keep all that because of his 25 years of sobriety. So back the next day, I went in and I admitted I was, I went into a, an open conversation meeting, an open meeting where I could actually talk. And that's the first time I admitted that I was an alcoholic. When I admitted I was an alcoholic, uh, I 
I thought admitting I was an alcoholic was a weakness, but it gave me strength. It took this pressure off my back. I didn't even, I couldn't understand it. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, and I admitted it, I was like, okay, we can fix it now. I felt like I could fix this now because, you know, if you go walk around denying something, you're acting like it's not there. But if you admit something that is there, you can do something to fix it. You can't use it as an excuse anymore. So that's where it all started. And, Powerful stuff, uh, man. So after uh, they 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 want you to go ninety days, ninety meetings, ninety days, in ninety days, and I tried to do that, but I couldn't do it because. Uh, this is my wife and I decided that we were going to separate. Um, so I had access, weekend access to my daughter. And every Saturday, I'd start going to meetings Saturday morning. And she was asking where I was going. And she didn't quite understand because she was only two or three, or three or four at the time. And uh, I didn't, didn't really want to explain it to her. So I, I didn't. I stopped going to meetings when she was, when I had her. She was enough for me to stay sober anyways. Because I, I figured that I, if I was going to, I got sober to spend more quality time with her. Not to take more time with her. Take time away from her. So I decided for myself that that was a good enough reason. And I attended meetings whenever I could. And it helped. A lot of people have... Uh, a lot of people don't think it would, but the meetings helped. I got a good base for my sobriety. I met one of my best friends. He was he was my sponsor, but uh, he's left the program. And he's been since sober, but he still continues to be one of my best friends to this day because we understand each other, being sober and things like that. And uh, yeah, so. After five years, <clears throat> after five years of sobriety, I found myself uh, still progressing. Um, Parkinson's was still progressing. I was still mobile, still did things. Uh, but I, I found myself without a relationship. Um, I was in a solid relationship right after my marriage and then I was then that ended and I jumped into another relationship really quickly and that ended really quickly um so I found myself I found myself single for the first time in like I guess when I think about it I found myself single for the first time in almost 20 years wow. and I could do whatever I wanted and I, I thought Maybe I was depending too much on other people. Um, I knew I hadn't drank any, I hadn't drank yet, but that might have been because I was depending, I was almost codependent on these people to make to keep me in check. So I had to do something for myself. So I decided that I was going to uh, get a hold of one of my friends, and he was going to coach me, and we were going to. I was going to do whatever I could and prove to myself that I could 
uh, compete in a natural bodybuilding physique competition. Is that wow. lifting weights and stuff is what I've been doing for the last, well, I've done it all my life, like playing football and, and through high school and stuff to keep fit. But I've never actually dieted to the point where I could get my physique into, into any type of thing like that. So I wanted to prove to myself and to everybody else that Parkinson's was not going to keep me out of doing something like this. So I dieted down and I was able to, through COVID and things like that, I was able to, uh, to compete in October of last year uh, in uh, something called the Coburg Natural. I dieted down to 180 pounds, which was crazy. I haven't been 180 pounds since high school. And uh, yeah. So that, and don't worry for deal. you ladies that are listening. We will make sure that we get some pictures in the Instagram post when we put <laughs> this up. We'll have them out there for you. <laughs> I'll wear a mask to cover the face. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, and through all that, I decided I, I really found myself through that whole um, competing thing. I learned a lot about my addiction, my addictions. I, I learned a, a lot about uh, through the diet and things like that, even with food and things like that. I learned uh, what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. I, I learned that I was actually binge eating on the weekends before the competition. And I realized, I just realized that there's a lot of things I was still doing for myself that I just didn't need to do anymore. Like eating whole jars of peanut butter. It's funny, I just admitted to my friend that friends the other day that I was a peanut butter addict. When I first got sober, I could eat, uh, I ate full jars of peanut butter on the weekend, just straight out like ice cream. And I'd, uh, I'd hide the jars, like I was ashamed of it, so I'd hide the jars in the bottom of my closet. <laughs> that, that is real addict tendencies. Yeah, exactly. So uh, when I was cleaning out one day, I had a full recycling box Recycling box uh, full and a half of these empty uh, peanut butter jars. I looked at myself. I said, "Fuck, I got a problem." So that, so I've got that under control. But, uh, but yeah, so I've learned not to even. Uh, you even got me off peanut butter. So <laughs> <laughs> we do love peanut butter in this house as well. I personally love it with with jelly. I eat. I probably. I'm probably good for like 15 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a week. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I'm probably good for like, I'm, I'm good for like on some days I eat like two for lunch and then two more at night. And then like, and, and one, sometimes I, I skip a day, but yeah, I'm, I'm probably good for like at least a loaf of bread on just peanut butter and jelly a week. Yeah. What's your favorite kind of jelly? Jelly. Uh, I don't, I don't really have a, a favorite kind, to be honest. When I go to the grocery store, grocery store, kind of like whatever's on sale, like just like oh, yeah. the little, like the squeeze bottles of just like grape jelly, whatever brand is going the cheapest. I don't, I don't really have a, a huge preference, but I do like crunchy peanut butter. Oh, crunchy peanut butter. That's the good stuff. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully I'm not going to make you relapse here. No, I'll be okay. <laughs> I've got to I've got about four. I've got uh, 
nacho peanut butter with salt downstairs. I've got extra smooth and the cross came out with this uh, extra roast. It's like a dark, it's like a dark type of peanut butter. It's real good. Oh man, you're into like the craft peanut butter scene. I love it. Yeah. I can control myself now. Um, but anyways, and uh, through all that stuff, I, I, I built credibility with myself and reaching this goal and realized I could do this stuff myself. And then I started this, uh, my friend called me and asked me to do inspirational speaking. So real quick, back to the physique thing. How did, how did that go? Cause you said you were trying to do a competition. Did you? Oh, I made the competition. I did it. Okay. Did you, I, did I you like play? It. Did you place or how does, how does. No, you, no, I no? didn't play. Cause my first competition, I made it. I met a lot of good, I met a few good people, um, had a lot of fun, but it, it wasn't really about winning. I mean, it would have been nice if I won. Yeah. But it wasn't really about winning. It was about proving to myself that I could do it because up until that point, I always went halfway with everything. Um, now, do you have to qualify just to get into the competition or is it like, can, can someone just sign up if they want to try or how does, how does that part? They work? can just sign up if they want to try. Okay. It was an amateur competition, but at the same time, you don't want to go there and look like an idiot. Of course. You want to go there and you, you, you it's credibility to yourself. Um, like you got, you have to pay. It's not free. You have to pay. I got to pay through a couple hundred bucks for the, the license uh, just to compete. And you have to pay like all the competition fees. So you better go there ready to work. I paid for the, to learn, I paid a coach to learn how to, to learn the rules. He taught me how to flex and all this stuff. And, and I jumped into this competition and I didn't win, but it was all about the journey for me. Like uh, I didn't finish college halfway. I didn't finish football halfway. Like I said, I, I'd, I'd work out, but I'd end up drinking or eating something shitty to, to, to take me off my goals. And this was the one goal I had to do the first time I wanted to prove something to myself to actually, actually follow through with something. So this is something that you finally went all in for and, and you, you followed through and you did exactly that. You got the coach, you did, you did the dieting, you did the regiment, you showed up on competition day and you did your thing. And, and most importantly, you showed up just, just like with sobriety, just like with recovery, you know, you found a way to show up and, and to do your thing, which again, brother, I, I highly commend that because that's, it's super inspirational. Um, and it's, it's letting our listeners know, um, whether, whether, you know, no matter what your situation is, um, you know, if Martin can get out there and, and, you know, do this thing and he's, he's dealing with Parkinson's and he's dealing with the struggle, um, you know, to, to be able to get out there and, and, and to just not be afraid to not be scared and to just put yourself out there, um, and to hold yourself accountable. That's again, it's, it's beyond inspirational. And I hope our listeners are getting something from that. Um, I'm hoping there's at least one person who had a goal that they might've been like backburnering for a little bit and like, fuck this. Like I have no excuses after hearing this story. I have zero excuses left to knock it out there and do this. 
Yeah, that was exactly the message that you that I wanted to get out there, but you put so well. Thanks for doing that for me. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's what I uh, that's what I mean. If you reach your goals and you, you do that thing that you said you're gonna do, you give yourself self-credibility and you, you build confidence with yourself, that becomes self-confidence and it just snowballs into something something else. Um, so through COVID and everything like that, I, I was able to persevere through this through the, and, and reach my reach this competition goal. I made it. And I was approached by a friend whose dad had Parkinson's, but has since passed away. And we had this instant kinship when we met each other. He goes, your story is pretty inspirational. You should start telling your story just about this physique competition in Parkinson's alone. And uh, I said, okay. Um, and I had been doing videos and things like that throughout getting ready for this competition anyways and getting, generating lots of followers and things like that. And uh, through these weekly videos that I was doing, I, I brought out that I was an alcoholic. I might be an alcoholic asshole, but I know this for sure is one of the lines I said. And he wrote, he messaged me almost right away after I said that video. He goes, I didn't know you were an alcoholic. I said, how do you not know as an alcoholic? I, I don't drink any at any functions that we've been to together. I don't do any of that stuff. He goes, well, I realized you didn't drink, but I didn't realize that you weren't in it, that you were an alcoholic. You've never talked about it. And I said, no, it's something I usually keep private. And he thought that was a whole nother part of my story that was very relatable. So once I started opening up about my alcoholism and overcoming addiction on top of the Parkinson's, my story started to gain more traction. And the more open and the more vulnerable I was, um, I wouldn't say the more fans I was getting, but the more impact I was making. And the more people decided to open up to me and I decided to enter the competition, my first competition, speech competition, and I got third place in my, my first speech competition. So, uh, now what is what is that? It's uh, it's called Speaker Slam. Every year, uh, they they have inspirational stories and and lessons. And every two to three months, they have. Uh, speech competitions where you share your, your story, uh, share an inspirational story that you have and a lesson that you learned from it. And you try to inspire people. And, and it's on different topics. The first one was uh, lessons in love. And that was back in February. And I, I had a story about uh, uh, pregnancy that happened when I was younger. Um, I don't want to spoil the story, but it was a pregnancy that happened when I was younger. And uh, it was all about, it came down to me not sharing my feelings and it ended tragically. Um, the second one I entered in the competition wasn't, second competition I entered, it wasn't really uh, received that well because there's a lot of profanity in it. Um, but it was about me almost killing myself after being strung out on coke and, and hung over, I almost jumped off my balcony um, in my condo that I lived in after I was separated. 
Too much and... profanity. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucking disgrace. But you know, I say in, uh, in all seriousness, before you get in the third one, like I, I say, you know, and it, especially with this podcast, and that's why I tell you even before we started recording, I think it's almost impossible. And you hit the nail on the head too, because you were talking about, you know, cocaine and contemplating, you know, jumping off a balcony and whatnot. I, I think it's it's so hard. It's almost impossible for someone to tell their recovery story without cursing because you're going through some of the darkest, most painful times of your entire life to get through that and to tell that story without cursing to me seems like a challenge all in itself. It really it does. Was, was quite a challenge. I think the F words that I used were the least offensive part about it. I, I believe it. Cause uh, they, I was, I was talking to my speech coach about it and he said, nobody's going to be able to relate to this. And I said, well, sorry, <laughs> we kind of had, we've kind of had a fight about it. I said, sorry, I know tons of people that could relate to this story who have felt like this who have been through stuff like this. And maybe if you can't relate to it, it means you haven't been in through something like this. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But he was absolutely right because there's a lot of people that didn't receive it well, but every person in my 12 step program, every person that I, I has been depressed, every person that's been through uh, addiction. Every person to listening to this right now. Yeah. Every person listening to this right now would probably be able to relate to it. And I got messages from a lot of people privately saying, wow, what a fucking great, what a great speech. You hit the nail on your head, hit the nail on the head. Well, don't hit the nail on your head. No, not on my head. (laughs) I took a beer bottle to the face once and that wasn't, that wasn't happiness. But uh, yeah, basically the the second speech was about, was entitled, what the fuck are you? And uh, it was me standing on the balcony, wondering, wondering, contemplating suicide. And uh, in the, the end, I realized I had to figure out what I was instead of who I was. I, was. I didn't know who I was, but I had to figure out what I was. Once I figured out what I was, I could accept who I was and deal with it that way. So once I accepted who I was, or what I was, what I was was an addict with Parkinson's. And I could use that. Instead of feeling sorry for myself, I could, and keeping all that creativity and stuff that I had inside me, which I thought was torture. If I let it all go and I could accept it and share it with other people, then that's when I could really discover the freedom of being, of the addiction and Basically, Parkinson's has become my platform. Parkinson's and addiction has become my platform because any other reason, nobody else would give a shit about me. Uh, This gives my message traction. If it wasn't for Parkinson's, if it wasn't for my addiction, I'd still be a security guard. And not doing what, there's nothing wrong with being a security guard, don't get me wrong with that. But it's not really what I was meant to do here. And I always felt like there was something more that I wasn't giving because I was holding all that stuff in and because I had Parkinson's, because I was addicted to all that stuff. And now that I've done all these things, 
it's finally making me, giving me the comfort to share everything. And in turn, like pu publicly, I don't get a lot of messages, but the other day I got a message from one of my people, fellow people with Parkinson's and it was a message saying, I'm really down, man. I, I, I'm really, I want to kill myself. And I answered him and I said, man, that's just your dopamine. You're low right now. Take your meds, get some sleep, straighten yourself out. And I went, I listed off all these things. And I said, don't make any permanent, don't make any permanent decisions to something that's just temporary feeling. And I didn't hear from him because you know how a messenger, you, you, you can see if somebody's seen your message or not. Yeah. He didn't see my message and he just disappeared and I got worried. And uh, he messaged me back last night and he said, I really appreciate that you took the time to message me. And he goes, I thought you <laughs> I took the time. Thank you for taking the time to message, to message me because I didn't know what I was going to do at that minute. And if you didn't message me back, it could have ended a lot worse. And I said, well, that's okay, man. I've been there before. And maybe that's, that was enough for me to keep me going what I'm doing. Sometimes I don't think that I'm hitting enough people. Sometimes I don't think I'm making a big impact. But if that one person just messages me and tells me that they're alive because I helped them, then maybe, well, that's definitely enough for me. It was all worth I'm it. I'm glad that I pulled that guy. Yeah, for it's sure. all worth it. And he then we had a funny conversation because we've been talking for a few years and he goes, I thought you were an asshole the first time I met you. First time I started talking to you, and I said, well, you're right. Yeah, I'm an <laughs> asshole, but it doesn't mean I'm not here to help you as well. Yeah, exactly. But I'm going to help you in an asshole way. Uh, so so but, real quick, is there somewhere that people can find or are these speeches now public? Is there somewhere that someone can find these now if they want to listen to them? Because I know I YouTube, do. YouTube and Facebook. Uh, Martin Parker and uh, Martin PKS because uh, it stands for keep it steady because I start off with all my videos with uh, what's shaking kind of started off as a joke so I don't know if they say it in the states but we say what's shaking as a greeting here sometime and uh, at the end of every video video I say keep it steady because I can't keep my hands steady so it's kind of turned into this, I haven't heard it uh, called the Keep It Steady Movement, um, but it's Martin P. K.I.S. on Instagram. You look me up, all the videos are on there. Um, Instagram is where I have most of them, where I have most of my views and success. Uh, I can show you the link to the, what the fuck are you? Uh, what the fuck are you speeches speech and uh, the first speech of um, first speech I did for the competitions. I can share those links. Yeah. Send me those. Definitely send me those personally. And then also if you want them posted in, in with this episode, when it releases, um, I can put those, I, I can put it out there as well. Just however, however public you want it, but definitely like, 
as soon as we're done recording, send that to me like personally because I want to watch them. Oh. I'm yeah. I'm definitely intrigued. Okay. Uh, so what is this? And and you know we 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 supposed to get in here and, and you know your your fitness journey. I know we talked about the the bodybuilding physique competition, but I also want to point out for our listeners that man, you are no slouch in 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 your working out right now, bro. I I watch the shit you're doing on Instagram, and you're yeah. slinging weights. You know, um, I. I hate to use the word normal because I use the word normal a lot when it's like referring to alcoholics and not alcoholics. Um, So I guess I'll use that word, you know, for someone, you know, with you dealing with Parkinson's and whatnot. Um, But man, you're out there lifting weights and doing shit that, and I'm using air quotes here that like normal people, I guess, or someone like myself who is not dealing with those disabilities are out there doing, and it's not stopping you. You're out there, you're fucking grinding you're doing the same shit, um, you know, some some tough stuff that we're seeing. And it's man, it's it's impressive. It's inspirational. Like you can take take Parkinson's out of it and just watching these workout videos daily since the day you sent me that first message um, about getting a chance to record this. Just watching. Like I said, man, you, you can take Parkinson's away from it. And just the fact of seeing you stick to a consistent routine, get out there doing what you're doing that's that's inspiration all in its own like you know i i would just be i would be talking about it the same way and so to sit back and take a second and to watch that video or and whatnot and be like and shit and this guy is also dealing with this and he's still doing that man it's it's unbelievable like the inspiration level is no joke bro it really it's 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 crazy to to think of what you have to deal with and just again, not making excuses saying, fuck this, I'm doing it. And, and, you know, and it, it really, for anybody out there who has a reason why they can't be hit in the gym, they can't be going for a bike ride, hitting the pool for their swimming, like anybody who's training for anything and has any excuse on why they're not putting in their work today, just watch one of those videos. And man, if that doesn't get you off your ass, I don't know what the fuck will. I really don't. Well, thanks a lot for saying that, uh, but it's funny the way you put it, um, because despite Parkinson's, but without the Parkinson's, I don't think I'd be doing it. I think I would take advantage of it. I, I would, I would take my movements and things for granted, because, like I said in the beginning, you when I take my meds, I have basically two hours of free movement and things like that before I had to start thinking about taking my meds again. So I want to use that time where I feel good to do as much as I can, to push it as hard as I can, do something constructive because maybe two hours later I'll be pulled up in bed. Maybe I'll be so shaky. Maybe I won't even be able to dial numbers on my phone. So it makes me want to get out there. It makes me want to walk, maybe run. Sometimes as uncomfortable as it is, sometimes I like to run. And I just want to push my body as as hard as I can, because I don't want to take it for granted. And uh, I took it for granted for a long time. And when your movements are taken away from you almost every two hours, you you have that motivation to get out there. So again, Parkinson's has helped me in that way. 
and, and by giving me a platform, by giving me these things, because without Parkinson's, I nobody would give a shit about these videos. Just be another guy working out. But uh, yeah, it, it gives me, it pushes me to keep going. It helps me. It keeps me in a good mindset. If I don't work out, like today's a rest day, and I, I think if I get a little probably by this afternoon, I will get a little grumpy, a little, my mood will drop a little bit because I haven't got to work out, but I need to do it. I need to rest because I'll just burn out otherwise. A hundred percent. You know, it's, it's yeah. just as important. It's just as important as, as workout there. Rest day is very important for the body. It's very much needed. Um, so, I mean, we all know that. Yeah. But we so, also know uh, that feeling that you're talking about of grumpiness too, because no one wants to take the rest day. It's like one of those things, you know, you need to, but no one wants to do it. Exactly. I hate it, but sometimes then you just got to take the rest day and you got to, you got to do something else to move towards your goal that you want. Like I find like maybe do my meal prep or something like that. Um, cooking my cookie sheet full of chicken on a Sunday to help me, so to help me, so I have stuff to eat on the Monday and throughout the week, that's enough to make sure, okay, you're taking a rest, but you're still moving towards your goal. You're still helping yourself. Or pancakes with your beautiful daughter. Pancakes with my beautiful daughter. I saw that. Keep you take running. that shit serious. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we put peanut butter on those pancakes too. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. yeah. Those pictures are awesome too, man. Just seeing you guys smiling together. It's, it's beautiful. It's, 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 it's so awesome. Um, and I think it reminds us, you know, those are the things, those moments right there are, are the things you couldn't do if you weren't, if you weren't in recovery right now. And if you weren't staying sober, you wouldn't be able to have those beautiful moments of, of making pancakes with your beautiful daughter, because, You'd probably be hungover and miserable or, you know, you might be telling her to go make the pancakes herself or, you know, maybe you're doing it. You're just not smiling and you're not enjoying it. Like, however, however, it's going to be different, you know, whatever the case may be, because everyone handles their their alcohol in different ways and, and whatnot. Um, not everybody just completely neglects their family. Um but, you know, however it would be different, I think we can just agree it would be different. It wouldn't be that same picture that is just ear to ear. And it's like, you know, for someone like me, I can't hit I can't hit that little double tap to get that heart on there fast enough because it's just so beautiful to see as a father, um, you know, as, as someone in recovery as well. Like those are the moments that, you know, this is what we do this for. Um, I was told. I was told by a lot of people before me in the program that I have to stay sober for myself. I have to put my sobriety and my recovery first. You know, I have to put it before my, before my uh, children, before my wife, before the rest of my family, because if I don't, then, you know, if I put anything else before it, I will lose it. However, um, you know, it's, it's a very, very, easy reminder anytime I see somebody else doing their thing and seeing that that that's it's also why why we're doing it is for those moments and it's uh man it's it's just beautiful it's it's unbelievable and it's it's inspirational like I said I I don't I don't know what moves me more 
seeing seeing you get in and and lift those weights, knowing what you got to deal with, or seeing that you get to share a beautiful morning um, with your kids sober. It's like I don't know which one is more inspirational. Um, and I'm glad I don't have to pick which one is because I just love them both equally. And it's, you know, shit like that makes my day, man. It really, really does. Um, and there's a lot of listeners on here right now who, who are getting that same inspiration and they're, you know, again, I think a lot of people are going to throw excuses out after hearing this story, man. It's, it's powerful. Well, she was, she's a pretty amazing little girl. Um, there was one time where we have our nightly tea. Uh, this is a speech I also shared for uh, <clears throat> for one of the events I did last week. Um, it was about parents with disabilities, and it was a, me having a conversation with her. Uh, we used to have nightly teas and and things like that before bed, and I had spent the day with her, and we had I I, I think she was at school or whatever, and it was my night to have her, and I was worked out, I lifted weights that day, I did all these things with her. And uh, when I picked her up from school and I could barely lift my tea up to my face at the end of the night, because my meds were off. And I said to her, I said, sweetheart, what's it like having a dad who can do all this stuff and now uh, he can't lift his tea to his face that day or drink his own tea? And she looked at me, she says, dad, you know, she goes, I'm happy. And I kind of looked at her and I said, what, why are you, why are you happy? She said, because you have Parkinson's, you don't have to work. And you were able to volunteer for all my school things. You're able to spend all this time with me because you're not tired from work or you don't have to work. You're not running to the phone because of work. Um, you can get all this stuff done that you need to do uh, before you, before I get home from school so you can spend time with me. You can play video games with me. You can take me to the park and all this stuff. We get all this time together because you have Parkinson's. So I feel blessed that you have Parkinson's. Wow. And I just thought, oh shit. <laughs> You're eight years old and you have that type of perspective already. And it just amazed me. So I thought of that a little differently than uh, yeah, maybe you want to wipe my eyes me, too, dude. Man, that's making me tear up, dude. That's yeah. holy shit, man. I'm telling you, man. That's yeah. you're doing a great job with her, man. I mean, for her, uh, man, at eight years old, like you said, to have yeah. that perspective that that is just unbelievable. That's yeah, that's crazy. That's yeah, I couldn't believe it. I I, I was just I was taken back by it. So I kind of. That's where the, it all changed. That's where I thought, well, this is where the Parkinson's as a platform comes in. This is where my addiction as a platform comes in. This is where all these bad things, maybe they all have silver linings. You're her superhero, um, bro. You really are, yeah. man. Yeah. So, That's so cool. Thank you. So for, uh, shit, it's hard to recover after that one, man. Got, got the <laughs> waterworks going here, man. It's... Uh, so like for, uh, man, I, I'm just, I'm glad you saved that one for the end. Cause I don't know how we, how I'd have to, how I'd be able to like conduct myself for the rest of this interview. If this wasn't towards the end now, um, now for, uh, 
for our listeners out there, the the ones that are out there struggling right now, because um, we we definitely have a couple different types of listeners in in this in this group on this Facebook page. Um, you know, I have people who reach out regularly who are not sober yet. Um, and there's people in the group who are, you know, alcoholics, drug addicts, overeaters, um, deal with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, you name it. We have people that are going through all different types of recovery in the stay and fit ODAC community. Um, and the, the one requirement is just the desire to overcome whatever their issue is. So with that being said, there's a lot of people in the community that haven't put down the drink or the drug yet that are still eating that, that meal that they know that they shouldn't be. Um, you know, they, they might be having those thoughts like that message that you received. Um, and they, they might need to hear something today. Um, we have a lot of people who are trying to find the inspiration to put down, put those vices down. We also have people that have put them down. Um, and today they just might need a reason to not pick it back up um, and to and to not have to start back over. Um, and, and they need that inspiration. I think they're getting a lot of that from your story today. But uh, if you could just share one more nugget of knowledge, something you've learned on your path, if, if you could share for those people that just need to hear one more thing, you know, to either put down the drink or the drug or to not pick it back up today, what would you share with those people? <clears throat> what would I share with this? Well, Saturday I went to a party, a pool party, with a lot of my old friends. Um, they wanted to see me uh, before I go for this operation tomorrow. But anyways, they were drinking, and uh, they felt funny for drinking. And there was a split second there where I thought, you know, it would be nice to have a beer or two. And um, I didn't because I was able to I was able to get out of it. But then as I got home, I thought about it. And I was like, what would have happened if I had a beer or two? Um, probably would have had seven or eight. Or, and, been, and it's like you said. So things didn't happen today. Um, there was an incident at the pool. There was misunderstanding between the two kids. Between two kids. Um, one of them was mine, and I was able to. I was able to uh, deal with that situation between the the mom and I. Uh, better because I didn't drink. I was able to. Uh, I didn't have to worry about driving home with my daughter. Uh, because I was able just to. Didn't have to worry about. I didn't have to worry about uh, being pulled over if I had one or two beers, or even if I was drunk. Um, life is just easier. I was able to deal with situations that, that wouldn't get out of hand. Life is just easier without drinking. Life is just easier without that addiction. It's, uh, like I said, admitting that I was an alcoholic was the best thing I ever did, because I, I was able to fix it. I didn't have to carry it around. I didn't have to hide it anymore. It was a lot harder to drink than it was to stay sober. Um, if you're looking for that reason, 
it just life just makes you makes it just makes your life easier. Wow. You figure out how to deal with things, and you might think it's easier to drink, but it's just you're making your life harder. <clears throat> um, it's harder to get up and go for that run when you're hungover. It's harder to like with my if I woke up hungover parenting, I was just pushing through. I thought, oh, I can I can drink, I can push through hungover. But instead of pushing through, it, it you're a great parent if you're hungover and you're sober, or great parent if you're hungover and you're drinking. Think about how much better you could be without any of that. You can excel without drinking. If you're a great parent hungover, or you're you can run hungover, you can work hungover, you can do all these things drunk think about how much better you would be without drinking or drugs you get they just get in your way your life is so much easier you, you don't have to prove it to yourself i love it i think you you hit that word easier is yeah. is so important to me because i tell this to people all the time when i get a chance to talk to someone who is in early sobriety um, or someone who is just asking questions in general, um, or even if they just ask me how I'm feeling, um, I, I respond in the same way. And, and I tell people a lot of times, um, you know, it never, ever, ever gets easy, but it promise it always gets easier. And it's like, there's a huge difference between those two words, huge difference. And, and, and again, for our listeners out there, you just heard it from Martin as well. And, and so I'm, I'm going to reiterate, uh, it gets easier. Just stick on the path, stick with the path. We promise. And, and we're not going to lie to you. It's never going to be easy. It's not, there's going to be a lot of shit you're going to have to deal with. But it does get easier. We promise. There's both of us. We we promise. We're we're not there's lying always, to you. There's always the little things that you can take away from. Like you stay sober that day. There's always something that there's always something you can take away from. Whether it be dealing with a situation, or whether it be being able to. The other day, I was able to stop at my ex-wife's house so my daughter could visit her her mom real quickly and there was no question about me drinking there's no question about any of that and it was, I was able just to have a conversation and have a good time without trying to hide anything or feel guilty or start a fight <laughs> so for sure now let me uh are you are uh, sorry before we let you go here um i want to definitely give you a chance to plug yourself and everything you have going on so um, from, from a, from a to Z, uh, throw everything out there, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any organizations you might be tied in with any of these speeches that you have going on, um, any websites, literally anything you want to talk about where our listeners can find you and follow your story. Uh, go ahead and, and let them know right now. Okay. YouTube and Facebook, Martin Parker, Instagram at Martin PKS. And uh, 
no website or anything like that, but I'm also in the Speaker Slam competition, speakerslam.org if you want to get involved in that. Um, this, this, this next competition coming up in the next two weeks is about fathers and the men who shaped us. So we get to talk a lot about because uh, Father's Day is coming up. So I, I got to record that speech today. So that's speakerslam.org. And uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. No website or anything yet, but no uh, sold out stadiums yet, but we're going for it. Hey, if, if, that, if, if we start getting to that point, brother, you just, you let me know because I want to support you in any way I can because what you're doing, man, is it's just beyond inspirational, brother. You, you seriously yeah. are. You're, you're a hero, not just to your daughter, but to a lot of people listening right now, man. You're, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that you're changing lives daily. Um, your, your inspiration level is absolutely through the roof. Yeah, man, I'm just beyond, I'm, I'm just like speechless at this point. I'm trying to dry my eyes. I'm, I'm trying to get my nose cleared up here because you, you got the waterworks going at the end here, bro. Just hearing these stories about you and your daughter and just these, these moments that you get to share. It's just, it's crazy. Um, you're, you're doing all of the things the right way, all of the right things the right way, man. You're, you're a great father. You're a great person of recovery um you're a great person of of parkinson's advocacy um you're a great weightlifter you're just you're just great brother you're just great and we just keep just keep staying great and keep doing everything you're doing um and and we're going to continue supporting you in any way that we that we possibly can um sending all of the positive vibes for you tomorrow with your surgery um, in any way that we can. I know my family, we will be thinking of you. Um, just, I don't, like I said, I don't even know what to say, man. You're just, just keep doing what you're doing. That's, that's all we're asking on our end. Um, but on behalf, on behalf of us here, on behalf of the Staying Fit ODAT Facebook page, on behalf of all the followers on Instagram, on behalf of everyone here with the Staying Fit ODAT podcast and all of our listeners, Martin, we just want you to continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and tell us how you're doing this, brother. Doing it one day at a time. Absolutely love it, man. Love it absolutely so much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit ODAT. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T. You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at stayingfitodaat at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.